Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm Daisy Buchanan, your host and the author of The Sisterhood, A Love Letter to the Women Who Shaped Me. For our fifth series of Your Book, we're in the USA and today we're coming to you from Book Soup, the bookshop in West Hollywood, Los Angeles. Our guest isn't just a West Coast resident. Her latest book is, among other things, A Love Letter to California. We're with Taylor Jenkins Reid and Daisy Jones in the Six. Her smash hit sixth novel is a story of the highs and lows of fame, passion, pain, creativity and being in a band told as an oral history. When the novel came out last year, it was all any of my friends could talk about. Everyone I know started their copy and looked up from it blinking a few hours later, having inhaled it. It's an extraordinary, vivid and addictive story and Taylor researched it meticulously So we talked about music memoirs, as well as kids' books, Hollywood history, and the joy and pain of looking for your own work in the bookstore. Yeah, here we are in in West Hollywood, in Book Soup. Taylor, do you come here often? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually do. I don't... um... We're in West Hollywood. I live in the Valley, which anyone that's seen Clueless knows... um... You know, the Valley is a totally different separate part of Los Angeles. But um, I love Book Soup. It's such a great bookstore. And we don't have that many independent bookstores in Los Angeles anymore. And so this one, oddly enough, in terms of independent bookstores, this is one that's closest to my house. So I'm here a lot. I do events here a lot. Um, I like to just wander through the stacks because it's also got a real, like, intense library vibe too, which I like. So, Can you remember the last thing you bought in here? The last thing that I bought was, I was probably here for um, an event. Um, I don't remember the, I don't remember the last book, but it's been so many. I also buy a lot of children's books here for my daughter. So um, I buy a lot of the like ABCs of engineering and ABCs of mathematics and stuff like that, which every time I'm here, I pick up one of those. Oh, cool. Well, should we have a look at this table here? Because this is the still recommended pile. Um, anything in here that takes your fancy I just I think I'm gonna buy this book you know, I really want to read that I that's been on my list to read the great believers is next on my list oh so I don't know the great believers oh this Rebecca is both every yes for national book awards everything that I've heard about it it is spectacular so I'm really excited for that one it's sitting on my nightstand so what's it about pitch it to me oh geez I selling me pitching a book I haven't read is tough but I believe that it's set it's set in the 1980s against the backdrop of the the AIDS crisis and it's supposed to be just spectacular this one which I know everybody talks about but I read this a couple months ago and loved it conversations with friends with Sally by Sally Rooney um have you read it yet yes yeah um it's it's very uh I I just really loved the the writing she has an incredible ability to describe things in a way that makes you feel like you're experiencing them because um, I love that that book is so focused. It's yes. very very close reading. Of yes, all of it's these very narrow and and intimate and almost claustrophobic. But I really liked it. Um, the body keeps the score, which is on the table, is the one that my therapist is always telling me to read. Ooh. I feel like every therapist tells people to read this book. I should probably buy it. 
It's important to do what your therapist says. This trauma is a fact of life. Veterans and their families deal with the painful aftermath of combat. Do you read much kind of nonfiction and much you science? Know, I it, it really depends. Lately, I've been reading so much um, in order to blurb. And so all of the things that I'm sent are fiction, and I and I read those. But I love reading nonfiction, like Jello Girls, for instance. Like I really want to read that. Um, it's tough for me to find time to read the books that I'm really really excited about, even though I'm getting sent books that I'm also excited about. But it's you know I'm trying to support them, and so um, it's the loveliest thing, and kind of the worst thing as well. I think we're all going to die not having read what we want to I know so much. I think that's why I like books so much though is that you mm. will never that feeling of I want this one I want this mm. one I want to read this one you know it's like this way of being sort of intellectually greedy that um that I really like is there anything that you've blurbed or that you've been sent that you're really excited about that you want yes. to talk about you know, there's a book that's going to come out next year that I just finished and I just blurbed that I thought it was great. And it's called When a Star is Bored. And it's a, um, it's written, it's fiction, but it's sort of loosely about Carrie Fisher. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, the, the author that wrote it, um, his name's Byron Lane, and he was Carrie Fisher's assistant for a period of time in his life. And so this is this just sort of beautiful friend love story that, that you know, about these two people and, and their relationship that I thought was really touching. And, and I, you know, I loved Carrie Fisher when she was alive and I miss her now and you're reading it and it feels like she's there, you know? Um, and so I really loved that one. Because I love her books so much. Yeah. To do justice to that voice. Exactly. Challenge. That, and I really think he does. I really think that when you're reading it, it feels like she's there, um, which is such a tall order, and he really nails it. So it's going to be a good one. When you wrote Daisy Jones, was there a lot of sort of ideas that were there because of books that you'd already read and loved, or did you have to do a lot of research to kind of get the time and get the 70s? That's a, that's a good question. You know, in terms of structure, it's written as an oral history, which is not a way that we t- tend to write fiction. Mm. So there wasn't really much that I was looking at in terms of the, the structure of the story because it was nothing I had seen before, even though it has... It has been done before. So, but you went in just, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Was it always that way in your head? Yes. Or? Yeah. You know what? It was, it was because of reading nonfiction that I really enjoyed. That, that is, you know, sometimes we, oral histories are typically nonfiction and those things um, can be, like there's a really great oral history of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, there's a really good one of the talent agency CAA. Oh, I bet um, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it should be. I'm Can sure it is. Uh, I just I want to sure say it's called CAA. CAA. Let's have a look. Yeah. I, think we, I think we were right by the, that section. I think that one came out right when I had the idea because I saw my husband reading it because he um, likes to read oral histories, especially about the entertainment industry. And so, oh, there we go. Yeah, Please Kill Me. That's another one. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, but so I had seen him... I think it was that one that he was reading, and I thought, that's a cool way to write fiction. We haven't seen that yet. That was when I came up with the idea, was, was seeing these oral histories about nonfiction and then thinking that it was a cool form for fiction. Because I think it really gives you that compulsive feeling as mm-hmm. a reader. You're like, oh my God, get in my face. But did you find it easier or harder to write than traditional prose, or just different? It was a lot harder at first, because there are totally different rules. You have no narrator. You have no piece of information that you can give the reader that isn't filtered through a character. Because the joy of it, right, is everyone's contradicting each other. Everyone is an unreliable narrator. Right. And so it was tough at first um, to figure out how that was going to work, what the rules were. But then once I adapted to it, it was actually really fun because there's also a lot of things that you don't have to do. I'm never, I don't have to set the scene. I don't have to describe what people are wearing if it's not relevant. There's, There's a lot of things you can get away with too in a lot of ways you can subvert the form um so i would say incredibly difficult at first and then quite easy by the end of it this the soprano sessions which came out at the top of the year it's by matt zoller sice and alan seppenwall 
So it's a whole compendium of um, episode recaps and analysis and critique about The Sopranos. So my husband is a huge fan of the critic Matt Zuller-Seiss. And so for Christmas last year, I bought him, I pre-ordered this book and I said, you know, like, we'll watch all of the Sopranos and binge them and then read these because we're big dorks. And so we did that this year and it was really great and really fun. And since we are in the entertainment section, I Like to Watch, which is the new book by Emily oh, Nussbaum. Desperate to read that. So she's a TV critic for The New Yorker um, and her analysis of... The way we watch TV, particular shows, why we maybe don't take certain shows seriously when we should, the things that we do take seriously that maybe don't deserve it, all those things, um, and what it says about us is is all in here. I like to watch, which is a, I guess it's a compendium of, of her best essays, or the ones, maybe not her best, but the ones she chose to put in there. And of course, Save the Cat, which is which is um, a book on screenwriting. The that, last book on screenwriting yes. that you'll ever need. I mean, I do kind of agree with him. Um, it's by Blake Snyder, and almost everyone in Los Angeles that's writing screenplays is reading that book, so that's a big one around And this here. is what we'll see if we go around to coffee shops and things. Yeah, probably. Holding up, if they're not, you know, sat in front of the MacBook. Yeah. Not typing. I think actually it's talking to someone at Netflix who's saying the way we watch TV is kind of closer now to the way we read because you can just keep going until the end. Yeah. If you like... And, you can be more ambitious because you can, you don't have to keep kind of, you know, say like on last week's show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it can be much more novelistic. Do you see that in what you watch? Yeah, I do. But I, but I also think like in general, we, we have this habit of saying like the TV is inherently not good, but good TV is when TV elevates itself to a movie or elevates mm. itself to a novel. And that is, and that, that is true. Like you look at certain things and, and I would, you know, Mad Men is novelistic, mm. you know, in that way. But um, TV is just good in its own merits too. Which kind of brings us back to the Sopranos, you know, yeah, it's obviously like this exactly wealth right. of, I mean, I imagine, I don't know how many books there are about the Sopranos, yeah. but I imagine a lot, probably yeah. not just that one. And also ones that they published. Like I remember in college, somebody gave me for Christmas, like the Sopranos Italian cookbook. And I was like, what is this? <gasps> Did you make really? anything out of it? I don't remember. I just remember being like, I'm, I don't know if the Sopranos need their own cookbook, but I'm sure it did well for them. Oh, I hope so. I kind of, I want to see that because I'm sure, I mean, the food's probably delicious, right? However yeah. you feel. Oh, well, Italian food is always, it. you can't go wrong. Right, what um, else have we got? Well, there's actually, yeah. there's a lot here that, that I read for Daisy Jones since we're in the music section. So this book, which is um, Rolling Stone Interviews, and it's, uh, my brother gave this to me. Yeah. Um, to help me with my research. And so you see, like, when you open the table of contents, it's, you know, just the interviews that have been pulled, like John Lennon, Phil Spector, Ray Charles, Truman Capote, Johnny Cash, you know, it just goes on and on. The one that I found really helpful when I was doing my research for Daisy Jones um, was uh, Tina Turner, Bruce Springsteen, um, and I believe Neil Young is in here, or maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, so I read that. I read that one. Um, Laurel Canyon, Inside the Story of Rock and Roll's Legendary Neighborhood, which was which is also great because, you know, that's very close to where we are right now. We're on the Sunset Strip, which is uh, was such a big, um, I mean, the sort of defining space um, for that's, rock so in the 70s. Michael Walker. So I guess all that, um, the beginning of the story, when they're kind of in the that's, house. Yeah, and... yeah. I put them... <laughs> It's funny. I put Daisy Jones in the six um, in Topanga Canyon instead of Laurel Canyon, although Karen does have a house in Laurel Canyon. But there are so many canyons in Los Angeles, and they all have these very sort of specific connotations. And so I was moving them out west um, a little bit. But the, but the Laurel Canyon music scene was a huge inspiration for the book, and that's where we are right now. So that's a fun one. You know, obviously, you've got uh, Keith Richards life uh his autobiography which i scrolled through i was i kind of struggled with that i re i was really excited about reading it and then i'm like oh the the rock and roll is a little slow to get going yeah yeah well i will admit i skimmed it because by the point i by the time i was reading that one i had read so many that i was starting to look for specific details as opposed to larger story yeah so for him i was trying to really understand his approach to playing and uh and i stole a couple things about like specific tuning and things like that from that book i'm trying to see if they have 
Um, it should be in this section, but it could be in a different section. But huge, huge, huge help for me was Bruce Springsteen's memoir, Born to Run. Oh. That was a really defining book for me in the process of writing Daisy Jones. Is it here somewhere? Yeah. I'm surprised it's it's tucked away in the corner here. We but should um, we should move it. We should put it somewhere yeah, sort of front and center. Yeah, this deserves prominent space. Um, yeah, I loved this book. And I wasn't, I really wasn't into Springsteen before I read it. Um, I re- so did you read it because you knew you wanted it for research rather yeah. than for Yeah, in fact, I think I, I think I had a sort of attitude of like, I should read this because it had just come out when I was doing my research and I felt like, oh, I should know what he said because he's in the same space that I'm writing about. So it sort of felt like homework. But then I got like five pages into it and I was like, I'm an idiot. Bruce Springsteen's the coolest and I've been asleep on the wheel here. Um, And I fell madly in love with Bruce Springsteen to the point where I talk about it way too much. Um, (laughs) Going out and saying, have you heard of this great singer called Bruce Springsteen? He's really good. (laughs) I know. I I tell this story a lot, but I, I was in the middle of reading this book and I'm doing my research and I'm watching all these Bruce Springsteen YouTube videos and I'm like, just falling in love with him and I remember I was having brunch with my mother-in-law and I'd said something like you know boy did you know Bruce Springsteen was like the hottest guy in the 70s and she (laughs) was she had I mean the look on her face she was like you need to know your place right now she was like did I know Bruce Springsteen was hot in the 70s um you know this is another good one actually now that we're in the Bruce Springsteen section which um my husband bought this one for me as a gift once I became obsessed Bruce Springsteen the stories behind the songs this is a really cool one because can I just say that's a very generous thing for a husband to do oh yeah I have a real thing about this guy well here's the book oh yeah oh no my husband I wish my husband knew how to be jealous he's completely incapable of it (laughs) he'd be like go be with bruce springsteen if that's what you want um is he a fan too or would he just uh, let you you know go he's very supportive of any whim that i get but i think in general he likes the music that i started listening to while writing daisy jones on the six more than what i had listened to before you know so so he's happy with it he's like yeah i'll listen to springsteen for the five thousandth time if we're not listening to Nicki minaj for the five thousand <laughs> so but this book goes through each of his songs and tells a story behind you know why it was written um how it was composed and things like that which is really interesting and it has a lot of smoke and hot picks which Ooh, is also very yeah. important do you have a favorite song of bruce springsteen's i'm on fire that's that's my favorite, and it will always be my favorite. And I wish it was written in the 70s, it's, you know, a song from the 80s, but I wanted to put it on all of on my Daisy Jones like playlists, and I think I did anyway, even though it, chron- it didn't <laughs> actually sync up in the chronology of it. I think that sometimes a period of time, it can be an idea as much as like a set oh, sure. chronology. And yeah. Especially like I think, you know, certainly in the UK, a lot of the 60s, as we think was the 60s, is really happening in the early 70s because it takes longer right. for everything to filter down than, <laughs> right. than you think. Well, good. All right. So we'll say that that fits then. As a, a legitimate yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, a notary for music yes. playlists. All right. This looks good. You mentioned Nicki Minaj. Not I know. Jones I related, should read I this. Read. I haven't so heard Queens, of this before. The Essential History of Women in Hip Hop. Um, I have never heard of this book, and now I think I might need it. Um, Someone I feel is kind of overlooked in hip hop history right now is Foxy Brown. Oh, sure. That she, you know, Absolutely. I don't think that she is remembered. I mean, as far as I know, she's still alive, but in the way that she is. Yes. Um, so I'm I will you. save that for later. And it's also a great title. God Save oh, the Queens. They've got um, Gabrielle Union is quoted on there. And oh, then yeah. Jason King and Rob Sheffield. I don't want to know what some dudes think about women <laughs> in hip hop. That's fair. I care what Gabrielle Union thinks of it, though. That's it. This one I've heard is really great that I want to read. This is, I believe, an oral history, too. Ladies Who Punch. Or maybe it's not. No, maybe it's an expose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Everything's an oral history now. I've invented them. Yeah, right. I wish I could claim um, so what's that? that that's about this is the, the whole yeah. It's the <gasps> storyline behind oh. the view, and they're all just you know talking trash about each other. I just love a book where people are talking Can trash we read about each other. Back, it looks... Please, you know, I just love that. <laughs> oh, this is great. The only one who didn't succeed, although I thought she was adorable, was Debbie. That's Barbara Walters. My favorite is Elizabeth Hasselbeck. This woman is driving me nuts. I'm not going back. I can't do the show like this. It feels like you're joining a new club that doesn't want any new members. That was the hardest part, Megan McCain. Yeah, see, this is gold. I should buy this book right now. Ramen Satidi. 
Whoopi vented to an executive about how much she hated my book cover, which she discovered online because it featured an illustration of her sitting at the same table with Rosie. O'Donnell. Were they not on at the same time? Is that the problem? I'm assuming that I don't was maybe know why because that's offensive. there was a... I'm going to guess there was a Whoopi Goldberg, Rosie O'Donnell issue, which for legal reasons is purely my conjecture. I will Google that. <laughs> Um, and I really want to read that Sally Field book as well. Oh, yeah. In pieces. yeah. You read yeah. That? This is okay. um, getting away from the podcast and more yeah, just now, like now we're shopping. In Hollywood. <laughs> oh, this, so I haven't read this book, but I did see the documentary, Full Service. This is wild. I don't know if I can even recommend this story directly. It is that wild. But um, it's it's Full Service, My Adventures in Hollywood and the Secret Sex Lives of the Stars. My book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, has uh, a large part of that storyline is about queer Hollywood and the people that had to um, hide who they were in order to work. And so Scotty Bowers, who wrote this, um, claims that he was basically a pimp for all of queer Hollywood. Um, and he outs a lot of people. You know, is it true? Is it not? I don't know. There's He... He says a lot of crazy things, um, but it's certainly an interesting gossipy story. Oh, that's I wonder if we can. Um, I don't know if I like lose a limb or something. I might just be able to fit this in my like, yeah, right. in my hold luggage. Right. I mean, that I have is... to wear three pairs of shoes. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I when I was in London, I did the same thing the opposite way, where it was like I can't fit all of this. I'm shoving books in my pockets. What books did you buy in London? Um, well, you know what? Here's the awful thing. I I bought a few because we go to bookstores to sign books, and then I always like to buy something. So I bought all these books for my kid, and then I would go to my publisher and I'd be like, "Oh, that book looks good, and that book looks good," and then I would just end up with like you know a handful of free books that I was like, "Well, I have to bring these home." You know, the ones I bought for my daughter were, um, do you know the little people? Big oh, is it over here? Do we have them here? Um, this is like, I love this series so much. Also, I might have to buy her one of these baby t-shirts. Oh, it's a David Bowie yeah. shirt. Anyway, there's like these little feminist stories. So basically it'll be, you know, like um, a story about Frida Kahlo or let's see, Maya Angelou or Jane Austen. And it's like one book each. Oh, oh, oh here. Oh, here's, this is an, this is yes. it. Little People, Big Dreams. So whenever I go to a bookstore, oh, like to get my daughter Parton. one of these. So oh, I see, I haven't seen Dolly Parton and I, you know, it's keep this out. For... I know, I know. Um, let's see the ones my daughter has, I don't even think are here. So I might have to stock up on here. Oh, she is Rosa Parks. And then my daughter has Maya Angelou, uh, Frida Kahlo. Who else does she have? Jane Austen, which she's like not nearly as interested in, which I'm bummed about because it's, it starts out and it's like, you know, Jane Austen was a writer, and I'm like, just like your mom. She's like, whatever. Where's my Angela? Like, where's? I mean, my Angela was a writer too, but um, you know, Lila's just like not interested in anything that is about me. She just wants. To, she's obsessed with Frida Kahlo, like completely obsessed. So anyway, so I would go into bookstores and buy stuff like this, and then we also bought her the Tiger Who Came to Tea. <gasps> Oh, yeah, one yeah. Of my absolute favorite. Which is which is I don't think huge here in the U.S. I don't I don't think it took it's, off the same way because it's so so set in London. Yeah, I guess in a specific experience of yeah. London. Yeah, kind of. Oh, was it written during the Second World War or just I after? So, yeah. Um, but then, anyway, I think you know, you think there would be enough Anglophiles. I, I yeah, know. I I would have thought it translated here in a big way, or maybe I just missed it. But anyway, she loves it. So, um, but that's the kind of stuff that my husband and I were like, you know, squishing them down into the suitcase and <laughs> sitting on the suitcase to get it zipped. Have you come across Judith Kerr wrote books that were kind of? autobiographical novels and they're mm. sort of for young adults about her oh, experiences really? of being a refugee and they're my favorite books of all time they're so great oh the i have first, an idea it's called when hitler stole pink rabbit and she okay. is as anna she's nine okay. and her father is a sort of prominent jewish like i think theater critic and intellectual and writer and they have to leave obviously um and they go to i think switzerland and then Paris and then there's one where she's in Paris as a teenager and then there's one called it's a small person far away and then the other way around but I always get them the wrong way around okay. there's one like post-war and it's sort of about her mother dying but they are great they're really really great I will I will out. send them to you oh geez see this is you can't get embarrassment of they are just yeah because it sounds like you're short on books <laughs> yeah I know I need more books you know what these are also 
these two books here. Like, if anyone has a kid, there's three of these, but they only have two of them. My daughter's obsessed with these, and it gets her to do yoga, which is the cutest thing. So they're called Yoga Bear, Yoga Whale, and they also have Yoga Bug. And anyway, each one is named after, um, you know, so it's like, do lion pose, you know, which is really just lion's breath or whatever. Tiger, and it's just, she'll entertain herself for you know, 45 minutes doing these poses. And then, yeah, like... That I've... looks about my level of yoga. Yeah. So you I'm know what? Honestly, it's really cute because she'll sit there and she'll do, you know, some... Not hugely complex, but, like, fairly complex poses. And she's so proud of herself and, you know, keeps her entertained. Um, That's really lovely. Is there anything that you're very excited about her reading when she's a little bit older? Yes. So, <laughs> here's the most awful admission that is going to get me kicked out of this bookstore which is that i've never read harry potter i should say and get this might mean um we have no more listeners on our podcast ever <laughs> like i've i've read not all of the books mm-hmm. i really enjoyed the ones that it, i'm not like a huge huge fan yeah, so i'm delighted it exists i'm glad that, he, that those books inspire so much love in so many people but <laughs> the minute you say that or admit it the the floor opens up and swallows you whole it's not no but i I I, I want to read them. I just sort of didn't when everyone was reading them. And then I got this idea right before I had a kid. I was like, let me not read them. Let me purposely not read them. And I'll get to read them for the first time with my kid. But I don't think I understood just how long it takes for a kid to be ready <laughs> to read Harry Potter. So I'm like, you know, counting down the days. She's three now. We have a couple more years to go. I keep saying to my friends, like, my friend has a kid who's eight and, like, super into Harry Potter. And I was like, okay, when did she read the first one? Like, when can I put it on my schedule that I can start reading Harry like Potter with my daughter? Like, yeah. 18 months to go. Yeah, exactly. But it would be so lovely to experience that world that, with half the first time. That's what I think, you know, and that's why I keep holding out. But I do feel embarrassed when it comes up in conversation. I'm in like, uh-huh, years, give me a few years and I'll be able to we'll follow this. We'll interview you again if this yeah. podcast is still going. You'll be there in a hat and a cape. But it was. That's exactly right. I'll be first in line. Uh, what were you reading when you were young? You know, it's funny. I wasn't. Well, you are still young, but you know, yeah. a child. No, no, yeah. Um, I wasn't that much of a reader. Um, which, oh. which it's funny looking back, you know, I don't think. It took me too long to learn that reading was something that could be fun. I kind of love hearing people saying that yeah. because I think there's so much of a, as a sort of weird inverted snobbery oh, around definitely. reading where oh, people sure. are like, I think it's because the people who've always loved it are like, you know, I read as a kid because I had nothing else going on. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's this, you know, people are like, no, I'm, I have one thing and it's this and you can't have it. But I think mm-hmm. it's so thrilling that it's something that always waits for you. Yeah. And, and also, you know, like, it takes an attention span, which is which is a skill that has to be learned. And so, you know, it just wasn't encouraged, um, and and I didn't really get into it. And then I came I came to it much later. But there were there were certain books that came up, you know, I would say basically like preteen for me, mm. where I had just heard about it and I was interested, and in, so I started reading. But like you know, children's books, like I do, I have like a gap in my knowledge a little bit like when people are like oh the bridge of terabithia or lion the witch in the wardrobe and i'm like "Uh uh-huh those sound good don't know what they are i i came to it really when chiclet started uh so can you remember the first one of the first things you read when you're like oh this is what all the fuss is about reading might be for me i can tell you exactly what it was it was bridget jones's diary (gasps) that's what it was i always think that bridget jones is my harry potter yes yeah absolutely i mean i heard about that book I heard that everyone thought it was so funny and it was so great or whatever and I was probably 12 or 13 and I got my hands on it I don't know how and I remember looking at the first page and it you know it's this journal format so it seemed much less intimidating kind of like an oral history (laughs) yes very much so and I was like this doesn't seem hard this seems fun and I was reading it I was laughing and I thought she was just so funny and and um and it was just wild and and fun and uh, that's when I realized that books weren't something that you had to do. You know, mm. they, they could be fun as well. And I do think yeah. all of, you know, later, I think people are very critical of that book and they read it with sort of 2019 eyes, like she's obsessed with her weight and she's yeah. neurotic. And I think actually she is really spirited and she's courageous when it matters. Yeah. And I think context matters too. Mm. You know, like when I was, was reading that book, 
the that was the world that I inhabited yeah. was when I was told that that as I grew up I needed to be concerned about my weight and that you know paying attention to who I was dating and those things were were defining traits that's the world that we lived in it it accurately reflected the world that we Absolutely. lived in it's like you know as women we're like you must be really really neurotic and paranoid about right. this right. and that was the joke that right. she was absolutely because the way she thinks about her body is kind of ludicrous and you have to have a bit of a gallows humor about it I think and see it as hilarious yeah and like you can't deny that that's what our world has been like Mm, you know just because it's changing now doesn't mean it wasn't like that Mm. it was reflecting our culture you can um you can say that we're fortunate we don't have that culture anymore and you know would i let you know when my kid is 13 when i say oh you should read bridget jones i don't know because it's going to feel outdated and mm. i don't want to introduce those things into her life if they're not already there it's sort of the same way i, I do, feel I about friends whether the context of 1990s london is sort of yeah. distracting enough you'd be like no this is just a period piece yeah. it, <laughs> it is like it, it is pride and prejudice it, yeah but but i do think you know i i think there are ways that our culture is changing that are really good mm. and so we don't necessarily need to go back to some of the things that are showing us that reflected harmful things in our yeah. culture. You know, like it worked at the time. Mm. It made me feel less alone. It, it entertained me. It has value. I can put it in the context of that. Um, not everyone can. But there's so much exciting new things that are being made now where it's That's like we don't true. need to... Yeah, I know what you. Yeah, it's. I suppose like like video games, like anything, isn't it? You know, anything can be like the Bible. It all goes very wrong in the wrong hands. (laughs) Right, that's exactly right. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We'll be back to Taylor soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week, a book so precious that you can imagine George Clooney and Brad Pitt hatching an elaborate plan to steal it. This week, it's How to Break Up with Fast Fashion by Lauren Bravo, former guest and friend of the podcast and of me. Lauren has written a tender, cheering and emotional book about a love-hate relationship with the fashion industry, specifically the production part. She has a compassionate and practical plan to help us shop with joy while limiting our impact on the planet. It's full of wit, warmth and wisdom. And most importantly, Lauren is not making any of us attempt to put together a capsule wardrobe. That's How to Break Up with Fast Fashion by Lauren Bravo, published by Headline Home. Now back to Taylor. Oh, you um, just come across Dr. Seuss. Are you a fan? We're a big fan of Dr. Seuss in the house, which what's kind of funny is that so my brother, um, his name's Jake, and he bought my daughter Lila, I think, like his first Dr. Seuss, her first Dr. Seuss book or something. So she's confused and she thinks that her uncle Jake wrote all of Dr. Seuss's books. So, so she, she will read, will read like, oh, the places you'll go. And she thinks it's written by Uncle Jake. Um, I can't wait for her to get to school or playgroup and whatever be like, that's my uncle. Yeah, I know. Well, what's also funny is um, in Oh, the Places You'll Go, there's actually very specifically a part where 
Um, they go to a waiting place. Oh, yeah. So here's here, yeah. So there's an area where people are just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go. It goes on and on and on. And then it says waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to bow or a better break. And Lyle is just like, oh, it's Uncle Jake. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> he, he didn't write this book. He's not in this book. But but for her, he is, oh, the places you'll go. That is the most adorable yeah. thing I yeah. ever pretty, heard. Pretty great. Um, this is also a book um, not for children uh, that came out recently that <laughs> I actually am doing a giveaway um, because I really loved it and I want to support her. It's called Three Women by Lisa Taddeo. It's nonfiction. It's about three women that she's very specifically chosen and she sort of details this specific part of their love slash sex lives that um, is really gripping and heartbreaking and beautiful and and. You know, look, it's a narrow, I should, it's three white women, you know, yeah. but, um, but it's a very interesting book and I really liked it. I really, I love that book. I yeah. was so kind of blown away by the, the consistency, like mm-hmm. the time that mm-hmm. as a, an act of journalism, I think yes. it's so impressive, but it, also what crushed me was, cause I think, and I know a few people who read it, it's come up before I think on this podcast, cause everyone's either like just read it or about yeah. to read it cause it's just come out and it's been so huge in the UK, mm-hmm. but I think people were kind of expecting a raunchy read and then they were a bit taken aback by the fact that it's so much about women being let down and kind of you know gaslit and made to feel ashamed of their feelings like just that awful feeling that you're as a woman that it's not safe to desire like romantically and something that I was not that I took from it as a lesson but that made me sad is I feel like we're in some places it's a very western thing but at a point where to desire sex is safer than to desire romance or love oh, or sure. that kind of connection. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, these are three, I would say, fairly disempowered women mm. who are, who are trying to grab some, some agency, but, um, yeah, and it's interesting it's that the, the happiest woman who seems to have the least awful time, Sloane, she's definitely the most privileged. It's got the oh, most kind of the most privileged and also money. you know I don't think I mean you you get to the end of the book I, is she doing what she wants to be doing I don't know I'm not sure she wants to be doing those things um, I thought it was really interesting and I thought Good and Mad was really interesting which is by Rebecca oh, Traster um, it's it's specifically about um, women's anger really great book um, as we as women start embracing our anger more. I'm definitely all for characters that are angry. And so that um, that's a really good one. I think all the time, but I think it's Susie in Curb who's described as being like, she's cold in her anger. Right. And I was like, that's what I want. Yes. I want to feel angry, but <laughs> yes. not to have that like, oh, yes. to just be yeah. Or, or productive anger, mm. right? To to feel angry and then to feel like you can do something about it. To have the agency to, to make it useful. At the time of recording, the holidays are coming up. Have you got any book gifting plans? Oh my gosh. Well, everyone gets books I've for me. That. Oh yeah. Yeah, Eve Babbitts, come on. I mean, especially to be here. Eve Babbitts has strong Daisy Jones oh, vibes. I was going to yeah. ask, actually. Yeah. I really wanted to ask I had, about that. I had in my head, I think I had to do some question and answer thing, I think for Hello Sunshine, which is Reese Witherspoon's company. Um, and they were like, Tell us something that nobody knows about Daisy Jones. And I like really thought about it for a while and I was trying to think of a good answer and I was like, She would hate Eve Babbitts because Eve Babbitts is so similar to her and she would love Joan Didion uh, in terms of, you know, Los Angeles women writers. Um, I feel like Daisy Jones would love Joan Didion, which we've got Joan Didion's The White Album uh-huh. here, Slouching Towards Bethlehem, uh, South and West, all good stuff. Jane Didion is a present someone. That's quite a statement. Yeah. Well, also, you know, I feel oh, the thing, the thing about books and i feel very strongly about this is that um i give books to people because i want i hope that they'll enjoy it and i hope that they'll have a good experience mm-hmm. but i've given books to people and you know sometimes you just you get it wrong they're not interested in that book and i always say like return mm-hmm. it like i even say it to my friends about my books is like they'll be like it's next on my list to read and i'm like don't read it like reading should never be a chore i think that's why i didn't read for as long as i did because i thought it was a chore it shouldn't be like there's stuff that you read because you want to get an education or you want to learn or whatever fine you do that but you know read what you love and don't spend time reading something you don't so so i always try to find books that i think people would really enjoy 
but it's always with a gift receipt. <laughs> and it's like, if you don't want this book, go back to the bookstore and find one that you'll enjoy reading. I don't ever want anyone. It's just not fun. You know? I think that's a really good philosophy to have. And I think when you have a lot of friends, and what you were saying about blurbing and things, and, you know, I'm sure I've got a lot of friends who are writers. Sometimes I feel as though there are more people who are writing books I need to read than who might yeah, read right, anything I write. Right, right. And that constant kind of, to free your friends from that, that's a generous thing. Yes, well... Do you know of any books you have given that have not been quite the hit you hope they'd be? Oh, I can tell you exactly. This is pretty much like when I realized that I needed to um, be mindful of the books that I was giving. Was cause when, so, so when my husband and I first met, and, and the context for this is that my husband actually doesn't enjoy reading that much, which is ironic. That um, First of all, he's a screenwriter, so that's one thing. But then also, you know, I write novels and he doesn't really read novels and so I had just met him and he really likes true crime and he or he did it's funny now that true crime is like in the zeitgeist I think he's had his fill but (laughs) but back in 2008 when I met him um he was really into it and specifically serial killers he was like really fascinated by the psychology of them and anyway I'm thinking I'm gonna be such a great girlfriend I come down here to book soup because I lived down the street at the time, and I get In Cold Blood by Truven Capote, because he'd never read it, and it's, you know, the true crime. And he's such a nice person, and he's got such a sweetheart, and he would do anything for anybody. And I give him this book, and he's like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm like, great. And it was just awkward, and suddenly he seemed, like, so down. And I finally was like, like, is something the matter? And he goes, just really don't feel like reading this book (laughs) and I was like don't read it I was like I'm giving it to you because I wanted you to have an enjoyable experience not because I want you to owe me you know a a paper on in cold blood so anyway we returned it you got something else (laughs) yeah bring you a notebook yeah so uh that was when I learned that you gotta you gotta give people some space to like what they like and don't try to I love this book because I feel like that is very much what the what the book lover would give the true crime fan. Right. Like this is both our worlds <laughs> right, coming right. together. And he's like, "Nope, I just like watching, you know, documentaries about this stuff." Oh, look at this! Oh, hold on, wait a minute. Legendary authors and the clothes they wore. Ooh. This might be an auto buy for me. This is pretty. Oh, great. I like that picture. Signature of looks. T. S. Eliot. Oh, gotta love F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald. Love it. The pockets are bunched. I think with miniatures. Dor- Dorothy Parker. Dorothy Parker, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Dorothy Parker looks very Hepburn-y. I know. I kind of thought it was Audrey Hepburn. Um, both of them, um, Audrey Hepburn and F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, lived just at Crescent Heights and Sunset, just not far from where we are now. Um, the intersection of Crescent Heights and Sunset is actually where the Laurel Canyon scene begins there maybe is laurel canyon but anyway they both lived at what was called the gardens of Allah, which is right there on the corner it's now a mcdonald's and a bank these things happen oh. but that's what joni mitchell wrote uh they paved paradise and put up a parking lot that's ah, that's what that's about so it all right it's um oh that's funny this is called the six ah. um the lives of the medford sisters this looks really Do good you too. Know the medford sisters only very little um i don't know that much about them um, but I this think. looks like a great book. And all these are on sale? What are we doing? Eight bucks for this? I gotta grab that. Those are... I think if you like Jane Austen, you will mm-hmm. probably love... Um, the eldest, Nancy, was the mm-hmm. novelist. And her okay. books are really, 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 really funny. And, you know, just, again, books... I love books about sisters and... You know, it's just about women being together and being mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, come on, oh, Ellie the Dolls. The Doesn't anniversary get much edition. Um, yeah, this is a great one. This is actually a book that Daisy Jones reads, which was um, very much on purpose that she oh, would be. Yeah, I mean, this actually is a great edition too. I mean, this this does feel in some ways like a book. I think all women would enjoy reading. It's just so wild and salacious and. I mean, there, there's no question of even good, whether it's good or bad. It just is the Valley of the Dolls. I think, for me, it reminds me of what you were saying when I read it. Like, you're allowed to 
to read books like this and you're allowed to write that's books exact, like this. That's Holy exact, shit. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Exit West is another great one by uh, Mohsin Hamid. He narrates the audiobook, which is how I um, read it, listened to it. And I really think when it comes to fiction, it's difficult for fiction authors to be great narrating their audiobooks and boy does he nail it oh my god his performance is incredible this book is great he's great when you listen to it it's just uh, i don't know fantastic. this but i'm already desperate to listen so it's a good one i mean it's magical realism i guess because a lot of it can't technically have happened part of the thing is it's this sort of refugee world and and they're these two main characters is this love story between them and yet they have to leave this war-torn area that they're in and they start walking through doors and that like allows them to escape where they are so it it um it's i guess magical realism i don't know if, if the book describes it that way but it's what it feels like to me beautiful do you listen to many audiobooks i do but it has to be a specific thing because i think sometimes i lose it's it's harder for an audiobook to keep my attention. Mm. It's like time and place is a little bit more difficult. But um, but yeah, I'm listening uh, to the Silent Patient right now in audio, which is really good. Um, I don't know that book. Who's it by? Oh God, it's like such a big book here. I'm gonna butcher his name, but I think it's Alex Michaelides. I think that's how you say it. Um, it's it's this book about this woman who has ostensibly committed a murder but of her husband but has not spoken a word since for decades and this psychologist who's coming to try to crack her open for once and for all i'm i'm like maybe a third of the way into it but people love it it's sold really well here it's been on all the big lists it's a it's a big one um i am moving us over to the art section because I saw this book earlier and I thought it would be fun for us to have a look at. Biblio style, how we live at home with books. Oh, that's great. So where are your books? Are they displayed to beautifully elegantly or are they everywhere? That is a great question because I just moved. I moved last week. Um, and the question of where the books are going is a very big question. I'm torn between the formal living room and my office because I like having all my books in my office because I can see them. And when people say, oh, what book do you recommend? I can look at my bookshelf and be like, oh, I just read that one and that one was great. And it makes it easier. But I also think having a nice formal living room with all of your books where you can just get cozy and pull one off the shelf is nice. So I'm very torn about this. Um, but I am putting in a children's library at the top of the stairs for my daughter, which I'm excited about. I've already oh. started a library for her, which is really for me because she doesn't care if she has copies of, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre, but I do. I think it's really important, isn't it, to see things in these yes. names. Like, I remember it, you know, like my parents have a lot of weird books and all those like 70s Pam McMillan ones. And those titles just like seep into your head mm -hmm. and you don't know, but to have them there as kind of tactile objects you can come to when the when yeah. the mood takes you yeah they have done studies that having physical books around makes a child much more likely to pick them up so um you know i'll make her this library and curate it and have fun doing it you know and in the hopes that one day she may look at the shelf and pull one off of there but i have to I know. I want it so bad, I may just end up with a kid like I was who doesn't read much at all. So, um. oh, yeah. fear of books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there's a picture here of um, a, it's a bookshop in Mexico City, and mm -hmm. that's the most books I've ever seen yeah, on a page. This They've me got out. the ladder. I need much They've more order than, than this. I am much more neurotic about placement of things. I really like. I need an order of like what books are where so I can easily find them even if the order only doesn't it makes sense to no one but me uh, like in my head I'm like oh this is a shelf for books I really love this is a book for shelves that I mostly love uh, this is a book for shelves that I read and I think are good but not you know it's like I get that I have makes a whole so plan. much sense to me like I'd love to have a kind of like a proper like to read shelf mm -hmm. and organize that and like I know what's coming out when yes and, exactly you know books that I'm likely to kind of use for reference and do you keep all your books do you ever have clear outs um that sounds like because if you do please donate them too I'm just <laughs> no curious uh I mostly keep them yeah I mean I donate to libraries that's I guess but it's tough too when you get like um, advanced reader copies of stuff it's like well what do I do with this you know um, 
So yeah, I mostly I mostly keep everything. And there are some things that I'll read because I get an advanced reader copy or I get you know, I borrowed it from somebody or whatever and you read it and you love it and then I think, well, now I gotta go buy my own copy and have it in my library, you know. Which is one of those things where I will sometimes buy a book that I've already read. I don't even crack it open. I just need it there on the shelf with the others that I love. To see, to have that physical presence. Exactly. Ooh. For the love of books, designing and curating a home library. This oh yeah, we're in the we're in the book design section, I guess. I love that this exists. All of these books are things that I will just buy and own, and I don't need to, and so I have to just open up the chat books in our homes. How do they get there? Yeah. Well, in my case, a thousand <laughs> jiffy bags. Yeah. <laughs> if I wasn't. Um, luggage restricted yeah you're in a bad section for luggage restricted yeah, there's no way well, any of this is getting huge in the case. and beautiful well let's go up to where your book is oh oh my gosh that's quite prominently displayed i had no idea although it is high not as easy for short people to get and you're right by sally rini i'll take it a lot of a lot of um a lot of good books here well, how does it feel to see your own book in a bookshop uh, it feels great. It, it feels great. And you know what? It's been a hard one, um, victory because for years, a lot of my books were not stocked in bookstores. So I would, my first book came out and I remember going to Barnes and Noble and it was like, nope, not there. You know, it was just not anywhere. And then it was like the second book. Now it's a little bit more and the third book's a little bit more. And then I, I think it really, it was by the fourth book that it started to show up places. And so now on the sixth book, to see they've got multiple copies. It's right there in the front. It's staring out at you. It feels good. It's among so many great ones too, which that I've wanted to read. This is like when I talk about wanting to grab each one and be like greedy with, with my time. It's like Gods of Jade, Jade and Shadow I really want to read. Um, normal People, Sally Rooney book. I haven't read that one yet. I read her first one. Oh, I yeah. think. A lot of people like it more, better. right? Yeah, um, it's, I suppose because it's so. Okay, it's a story that I don't know before. There's lot. It's very complicated, and I think it's tricky. No one, no one comes out of it well mm. in normal people. But mm -hmm. again, it feels, I suppose, very subtle and very adult. Mm. Um, it's really sad, but really great. Um, yeah, that's what I've heard. There's a lot. There's a lot here. Um, a woman is no man. I really want to read. Um, oh, I've not heard about that. That one, I think, came out around the same time as, as mine. Yes. Oh, shit. I'm so sorry. And sorry, that, Salman Rushdie. That is key shots. I just um, <laughs> threw it at Taylor. There you go. Back you go. Key shot, I quite liked, actually. I didn't read it. I haven't read it yet. I had to read all the book of books, and it was much more... I was a bit like, oh, it's going to be a bit, you know, worthy. Yeah. But it's great fun. Great fun. All right, so A Woman is No Man by Um Oh, so this sounds, is it maybe in the same sort of family of theme as um, that, the audio book you were talking about? Oh, you know, I mean, it's about Palestinian Americans, right? Yeah, I think in America. And about people who are, have love affairs and romantic feelings that are thwarted by yeah. the situations they're in, the place I, they're in. Yeah, I really, I want to read that one. Copperhead, I want to read. I was just on a panel with Alexi Zentner. He sounds like such an interesting person. And, and this book um, is about white supremacy specifically. But it, the, I think the whole thing is that the main character's stepfather is a white supremacist. And the main character is trying to wrestle with, you know, knowing that the way he was raised was wrong and trying to get himself out of it. And um, it sounds really interesting. And, and the story behind why he wrote it sounded great. He's just a great guy. Um, Tana French is great. Her oh, yeah, detective novels are so good. Yeah, she's great. Is that her new one? Is that her Yeah, this one here. I think they're making her uh, stuff into a TV show for stars. Oh, cool. So I'm just I'm excited about Because they're great books, but they would be great TV shows too. Is that if you could, um, obviously, other than mm -hmm. um, your books, which I think are, mm -hmm. are in the works, right? Mm -hmm. if, I, if I gave you $100 billion yeah. to adapt anything, you could do it as a TV show, yeah. you could do it as a movie, you could do the casting, oh, however geez. you wanted. 
what would you but you just you have to choose one thing what a fun question with so many answers the thing that comes to mind first i think is the song of achilles by madeline miller i loved that one it's one of my favorite books i talk about it all the time but um i would i would love to just watch it you know just someone else make it i just want to watch it it was it was a really great book, and I think that's the book that I've pressed into the most people's hands. And oh. been like, please read this. Because um, I because I'm desperate to read Circe, and everyone's recommended that to me. Really and it's good. one of those like I don't know why I've not got to it yet, but yeah. I will. And yeah, it's really good. Circe's really good. I love both of her books. I'll read anything that Did she you writes. Like Song of Achilles more. Um, I did only because it's more of a traditional structure, so it's like it's really like about. Achilles and the in the Trojan War and his relationship with Patroclus, whereas Circe is a little bit more you know episodic. You go through the times in her life as they unfold. But I love them both. Oh, here we have Uncussing by Catherine Dunn and Everything Is Fucked by Mark Manson. Yeah, I will say I very briefly read part of the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, and it uh, is lovely. I think that I could use a lot more Not Giving a Fuck. So. Actually, this whole shelf I'm down for. How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. Fuck, that's delicious. It's all good stuff. Fucking good manners. Yeah. They're the fucking books. The holy shit moment. How lasting change can happen in an instant. Okay, I'm down. Do you have that with your books? Do you have a moment when the story... Would that, Or are you able to trace back the point when like, the first seed or grain kind of started to shake down and sprout? You know, sort of, but I think I think a lot of it is that it all happens very slowly. You take one piece from here and one piece from here, and it starts to snowball. And at some point, you realize it's taken on a life of its own, and it's got legs, and it's going to go. For mixing metaphors, but um, but I do think that now, after it's written, it becomes a lot easier to create a narrative of like I knew when, um, you know. And I don't. I think any of my answers about that are only can only be half true. Um, because at the time there's so many different pieces of information that are coming through your head. So many things you're living at one time when you're coming up with an idea, you're influenced by so many things. I mean, I found it really kind of inspiring, I guess, when you talked about how, you know, this has been to make it like we're in the bachelor for yeah. a second, a right. journey. <laughs> yes. You this know, has been a journey. It's, you know, books and books and books and you keep writing and keep doing it. And each one, there's sort of a little more of a... Mm-hmm. a moment I mean does that do you feel like that gives you a sort of perspective on the difference between what writing is and what publishing a book is or yeah that's a really interesting question I, I think it's one of those things where if you ask me when I was coming out with my debut which was now I guess seven years ago I would have said I want to be one of those people that gets famous off of their debut novel who doesn't um, it didn't happen for me and it took me a while to get up that mountain and I think now that I'm here and I'm I feel good about where my career is at I can look back on it and say I'm really thankful for the way that unfolded Mm. I think I have a pretty good perspective I understand that these things come and go that you know I I have a book that's that's done well and that's a nice thing for me now Mm. nothing's promised (laughs) I have no idea what tomorrow looks like um so I'm appreciating it in the moment. I think if it had been given to me, my first book came out, I was 29. And I think if it, if I had taken off like a rocket then, um, I don't know. I don't think it would have been good for me long term. So I'm, I'm really happy with the way that it's gone down. Each victory, small things of like, oh, this place covered it or, or this, it's on this list. Or these, these things that, again, sort of snowball into a successful book. I can appreciate each one because I spent a lot of time not getting any of those things. But but so many times it seems like, oh, you're going to publish a book and now you're going to be a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, there's an assumption that every book is mm. going to be this huge success. Um, and, you know, success looks different for each for each book. But I'm I'm happy to have grown slowly. Huge thanks to Taylor. Follow her at T Jenkins Read on social media. Daisy Jones and the Six is published by Cornerstone and out now in paperback. It's a future classic. It's furious, feminist, glamorous and smart. And I defy you not to fall in love with Daisy. Also, huge thanks to everyone at BookSoup for their kindness, generosity and welcome. Please pay them a visit if you're in Los Angeles and follow them on social media at BookSoup for reading inspiration. 
I'm Daisy Buchanan and I have been your book inspector. Thank you so much for joining me, fellow bibliomaniacs. You can find me on Twitter at NotRollerGirl and on Instagram at the Daisy Bee. Say hello, suggest some guests and watch out for shelfies. Visit our show page, acast.com slash booked, for more information about our guest and a list of the books they talked about. If you have any other queries about the podcast, you can email us at whybooked at gmail.com. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us and leave a review. It's great to hear what you think and it helps other people to find the podcast. For now, I leave you with these words that are thought to have been said by the playwright Berenk Molnar. Writing is like sex. First you do it for love, then you do it for your friends and then you do it for money. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.